Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Fred. Music team. Happy Father's Day to fathers both biological and spiritual. Jesus says something interesting when He mentioned that uh, those who give up families and lands for His sake would receive more than that, uh, that, that we would receive back uh, fathers, mothers, sisters, brothers, and lands, right? Jesus is referring, of course, to the blessing of the church, that uh, when we aim to follow Jesus, we actually become a part of something much larger than a family. So yes, we, uh, we say Happy Father's Day to uh, those who uh, have their own children, but also we say Happy Father's Day to those who have, uh, beyond their own families, even mentored um, younger, younger people in the faith, younger men in the faith, uh, that we have, a, we have a large family because of the work of Jesus for which we can praise God. This morning we are in Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, I'm going to start reading in verse 12. Let's give attention to God's Word. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. This is Jesus. Jesus was in one of the cities. There came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus... He fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe 
saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. This is God's Word. He gives it to us for our good. So let's pray and ask for His help in understanding it. Father, we thank You for this passage. We thank You for speaking to us. And God, we pray now that we would understand these things. God, that uh, I would be faithful in applying Your Word to us. Lord, that those things that come from me and not from You would be forgotten. But that Your Word, those things which are of You, would find root in our souls, that You would bury them deep, and that they would grow up and bear fruit a hundredfold. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So do you think the uh, the paralytic was a little confused? Right, his, uh, He gets laid in front of Jesus. Here he is, finally in front of Jesus. He's wanted nothing more his entire life than to be healed, to be able to walk, to be able to move. And he's in front of the one person he believes can help him. And he hears... Your sins are forgiven. Or how about his friends? His friends who went to such great lengths to get him in front of Jesus. I mean, we could even say uh, that they are exemplary in their faith. Jesus even says, that, it, or Luke tells us that Jesus sees their faith, right? Sees their act of trust. That they, they believe that Jesus is so capable of healing their friend, that they actually, not only have they carried him on a mat to this house, but the house being full, now they scamper up on top of the roof, dig a hole in the roof, going to have to pay that bill later, right? And lower their friend, no doubt on ropes of some sort, lower him down in front of Jesus. And they hear, your sins are forgiven. You think the reaction... Uh, who knows, I don't even know if this man could speak, but kind of think, um, well, Jesus, that's nice. Uh, it's not really what I was looking for, uh, but thank you. Um, you've no doubt, well, maybe you've seen the movie Aladdin. Uh, if you had, if you had Aladdin's genie, what would you wish for? What is your greatest desire? What are you missing that you think would make you complete or whole? If I just had blank, if this one desire could be granted, because no doubt that was the thinking of both of the men in the story. If this were fixed, everything else would be great. If this were fixed, everything else would be great. If you've seen Aladdin, at least the Disney version, you know that uh, Aladdin's greatest wish is to be someone else. But in wishing that thing and wishing that wish, he actually creates a whole series of problems. Brad Pitt, one of the highest paid actors who many would regard as the pinnacle of success and achievement, said this when asked about his own happiness. He said, man, I know all these things are supposed to seem important to us. The car, the condo, our version of success. But if that's the case, why is the general feeling out there reflecting more impotence and isolation and desperation and loneliness? If you ask me, I say toss all this. 
We've got to find something else. Because I, all I know is that at this point in time, we are heading for a dead end. A numbing of the soul, a complete atrophy of the spiritual being, and I don't want that. Brad Pitt. When asked a little bit further about how he thinks we should find what, uh, what he talks about, he says this, Hey man, I don't have those answers yet. The emphasis now is on success and personal gain. I'm sitting in it. And I'm telling you, that's not it. I'm the guy who's got everything. I know. So if that's not it, what is it? What about you? What are you believing that if God would just change this, then I'd finally be happy? And I should say that that longing is not shallow. That, that desire for something to fix that ache within, that's not a, that's not a shallow longing. That, that's actually an indicator of, an, of a spiritual reality. That the world is not as it should be. Something is broken. It needs to be fixed. But the problem is that we're often, as Pitt says, looking in the wrong direction. We get our, we get our first wish granted. And that's not enough. So we go to the second wish. We get that granted. And that wears off. And so then we go to the third wish. And if you've got more than a genie, uh, maybe you move on, right? But, but it's never enough. And so we have these two examples here, a leper and a paralytic. And here's what I believe they show us. In healing physical diseases, Jesus shows us that He has come to heal something else. In healing physical diseases, Jesus is showing us that He's actually come to heal something far greater, our, our deepest need, which is our sin and separation from God. That in healing physical diseases, Jesus has come to heal something far greater, far deeper, and that is our separation from God. Now, a couple of things as we, as we look at these two test cases, as these two examples, there, there's, there's two overall points I want to make and I want for you to hear. Jesus, first is this, Jesus does not ignore the physical needs of these two men. When they come to Him, Jesus does not say, well, listen, I know your entire body is disfigured from leprosy, that nobody wants to touch you, nobody wants to be near you, that you look disgusting. That's not, that's not, that's not all that important. Jesus addresses their physical needs. He meets their physical needs. He doesn't look past their circumstances. We have a Savior who actually meets us. He doesn't, right? Jesus is not a stoic. He doesn't say, hey, what you're feeling and thinking is unimportant. Ignore it. Jesus meets these men where they are as they come to Him and He doesn't ignore them. He heals their bodies completely and fully. But at the same time, second... He points to a greater reality behind their illnesses, behind their sicknesses. That disfiguring sores and lesions and useless atrophied arms and legs are, are windows to something else. That the very fact that we're sick 
is a window pointing, is a sign pointing to our broken and needy condition. Alright, so that both of those things are true. Jesus doesn't ignore the physical need, but rather he uses the physical need to point to a spiritual reality. Both of those are true for the leper and the paralytic. So let's look at each one of these and go, go through. Um, leprosy. Uh, leprosy occurs a lot in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament. It refers to a wide range. It doesn't have to refer to what we call Hansen's disease today. Um, but if this is the, the truest form of leprosy, uh, here's what you can expect if you have it. Uh, it begins with bumps that develop into lesions. Uh, it's actually a bacteria that, uh, that attacks the nervous system. So you begin to lose feeling in your extremities. Uh, as it affects your bones, your, your limbs begin to twist. Uh, a number of people with advanced cases of leprosy actually have just a, a clawed hand, their hands become so disfigured, Uh, the face becomes disfigured, the nose usually sinks in, teeth uh, become lost, Uh, and it's a highly contagious disease. And so you can imagine when this man comes in front of Jesus and it says he's full of leprosy, he's in pretty rough shape. He's in an advanced condition of the disease. Um, But those are the physical Problems. There's also social problems uh, that when you have this disease, you become an outcast. In fact, the Old Testament law banned such people from contact with others. And again, it's a contagious disease. You want to quarantine people who have a contagious disease. And so you would be banned from the community. You would have to live outside the camp. And you'd, have to, you'd have to live away from people. You were banned from coming to the temple. You could not come to the temple to worship. You were cut off from friends and family and society. So much so that one scholar describes this disease as a living death. Because even though the disease itself doesn't cause death, it's not fatal, yet over time uh, you can imagine... um, even dying inwardly just from lack of community, lack of contact. Uh, we would liken it something to AIDS in our day. Uh, the unclean, the untouchable. And so this man who's in pretty rough shape approaches Jesus and says, If you will, if you want to, you can make me clean. If you want to. Right? Uh, This man has no doubts about Jesus' ability, but he also doesn't presume upon Jesus' willingness. He doesn't say, hey, it's your job to heal me, so let's get on with it. He says, if you want to. Right? This is a position of humility. Uh, He bows the knee before Jesus and says, if you want to, you can make me clean. Now that word, that, that... Word clean, this was an Old Testament category, clean and unclean. There were laws dealing with clean and unclean in Leviticus. Um, They don't necessarily mean sinful and sinless, okay? So to be unclean didn't necessarily mean that you had done something sinful. But the clean laws all pertain, uh, they're all meant to demonstrate the effects of sin in the world. They usually deal with blood and death and other things that did not exist before sin. 
Right? So, before sin enters the world, childbirth, which was, which, which would make you unclean for a period of time, was not painful. Before sin entered the world, bacteria did not attack your central nervous system and turn your body into a deformed mass of flesh. Right? So, to be unclean means that you are not that not that this man has done something wrong he hasn't done something sinful but his body is a physical visible representation that something is wrong in the world that there is sin in the world and so as this man approaches Jesus and he says if you want to you can make me clean he's basically saying you can remove the effects of the curse on my body you can make me clean And what does Jesus say? I want to be clean. I want to be clean. Jesus, again, this is the, I think, the third healing that we have seen. Jesus not only stops the spread of the disease, but he reverses its effects immediately. The man is immediately healed. And then Jesus says something else that's interesting. He says, go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing. So, if you're ever interested in uh, Levitical law, especially as it pertains to skin diseases, you can, ter- you can turn to Leviticus 13 and 14 and figure out how to deal with that. All right? In Leviticus 14, so what, this, what Jesus tells this man to do, we find in Leviticus 14. He would have to go to the priest to demonstrate that he had been healed, that he was clean, that there were no signs of leprosy in him. And what the priest would then do is he would take two birds, and one bird he would sacrifice. He would basically break its body uh, and sprinkle its blood in some water. And then that blood would be sprinkled on you. If you'd come to present yourself uh, to show the priest that you are clean, then the blood of the bird would be sprinkled on you. And then the second bird would be dipped in the blood of the first, and it would be cast out. It would be, it would be set free in the wilderness. And so what's being shown there, right, is this cleansing ritual, that the, that the, that the body is being cleansed, and the curse is being cast out. So, I want you to catch the imagery there. That this was a man that if you had leprosy, you would, be, you would have been cast out. You would have been outside the community. And upon being healed, in order to come back in, right, the curse has to be cast out. So, something has to be cast out in your place. And that's exactly what's happening. And then there would be a series of sacrifices that uh, this healed person would do. You would be observed for seven days and the priest would say, you're restored. You would be restored to the community. Restored in relationship with God and with others. And so, what what does all of that show us? First, it shows us that our, our medical problems... As real and tangible and physical as they are, point us to the spiritual reality that the world is broken. That there, that, that because of our sin, there is a curse. Uh, that God has enacted a curse on the world, uh, and it is broken. But second, 
It also shows us that our sin problem, even this very elaborate ritual, that our sin problem cannot be swept under the rug. Right? That it's not just simply like, okay, you're good. Have a great day. Right? That, that there was this, uh, that, that sin requires payment, requires an offering. Something must pay for and remove the curse. Now, here's what's really shocking about what Jesus does. Normally, if you touch your friend who has leprosy, his uncleanness is transmitted to you. That, that uncleanness is contagious. And so if you touch your friend and she is unclean, you become unclean. You are taking your friend's uncleanness on yourself. And it's interesting, right, that Jesus could heal this man with a word. He could stand about 15 feet away from him and say, you're healed. Now go sell yourself to the priest. And we would say, that's a really good idea, Jesus. You don't want to touch that guy. Right? You, don't want, you don't want what he has. But what does Jesus do? He puts his hand on him. And instead of Jesus becoming unclean, right now, normally what would happen if Jesus touched him instead of one unclean, leprous person, you now have two. But what happens when Jesus touches the man? He reverses the curse. The man's uncleanness, the source of the man's uncleanness is gone. Immediately. Jesus is not infected. Jesus does not, Jesus, in a sense, takes the man's uncleanness on himself. But he gives the man his cleanness. And so Jesus removes the source of his uncleanness. He removes the leprosy. He takes the curse on himself. And he reverses the curse on the other person. And as he does this, we see that Jesus' popularity grows, that word gets out, and more and more people are coming to hear Jesus. And just as kind of a side point, it's interesting that Luke just throws this in there. What is Jesus' response to the growing popularity? He withdraws to pray. He gets away from people. There's plenty of work to do. There's plenty of people calling his name. There's a long, long to-do list. And if anybody could make it happen, Jesus could make it happen. But what does Jesus need? Jesus needs to pray. Jesus' identity is not found in His work. Jesus' identity is not found in His ministry. Jesus' identity is not found in what He says or what He does. Jesus' identity is found in His relationship to the Father, which He nourishes regularly. If anyone did not have to pray, have to pray... Uh, it would probably be Jesus. And yet, that is where Jesus regularly goes as he pursues ministry. He retreats to pray. Now, let's look at the paralytic. Something similar going on here. Of course, to be paralyzed wasn't to be ostracized from community, but you can imagine to not have the use of your arms and legs would be devastating. In fact, uh, many of us... Uh, as we've gotten older and our bodies begin to fail, it's frustrating, to say the least. Uh, this man is paralyzed. He's unable to use his body. And so, 
Jesus is teaching and healing. The house is, is so crowded that nobody else can get in. And so these faithful friends, and may, may we be, let's be these kind of friends who go above and beyond to get their buddy in front of Jesus. Right? Like they, they don't, they don't stop at the door and go, mm, sorry, Ted. Looks like he's busy. Maybe we can come back tomorrow. Right? No, no, no. They ruined someone else's roof um, to get him in front of Jesus. They are so desperate to see their friend made well that they do everything they can to get him in front of Jesus. And so they lower him down. But Jesus' popularity has also attracted the attention of a new group. And this is the first time we uh, see Jesus in conflict with them. Uh, they are described as the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Who are these guys? Uh, they've come from that region, but they've also come from as far as a 100 miles away in Jerusalem. And so they think that Jesus is somebody worth seeing. Who are these Pharisees? Uh, there's a lot we could say, but let's just say this, that the, this group, uh, they were, they were some of the key religious leaders in Judaism of that day, and they were so committed to not breaking the Old Testament law that they actually developed a complicated set, a complicated system of rules that if you followed them would help you keep or designed to help you keep, uh, the Old Testament law. Of course, as you may know, uh, anytime you try to take a broad law and get very specific and meet all of the different instances at which it can be broken, you come up with something that is very cumbersome and very hard to do, lots of hoops to jump through, and we're actually gonna, we're actually gonna see them again. This will, this will not be the last time that Jesus has a conflict with them. But know this, they were keen on keeping the law. They were keen on doing what was right. But they had become so keen on that that they had begun, they had become so keen on obeying God that they actually ended up missing God in the process. So, um, they've come to examine this new teacher, this new miracle worker, Jesus. And as this man is lowered down in front of Jesus, you can imagine that the, the whole room just stops, right? Jesus is in there teaching, people are listening, and then all of a sudden, maybe there were like little, little, you know, dust things that like came down, then all of a sudden, here comes a human being on a mat being lowered down in front of Jesus. I mean, you probably could have heard a pin drop. And everybody's like, oh, what's gonna happen now? And Jesus looks at this brother, and says, man, your sins are forgiven you. And as soon as he said it, the Pharisees flip. Right? In their, in their minds, they start going, whoa, whoa, whoa. Who does this guy think he is? That's blasphemy, right? He's, he's insulting God. He's dishonoring God. Nobody can forgive sins but God alone. Who does he think he is? And of course... They're right. The only person who can forgive sins is God alone. Their theology is absolutely true. And right, here's, here's how that works. I'm going to borrow a, an illustration from a pastor named Tim Keller. Uh, if Fred and Paul and I are talking, uh, and Fred punches me in the mouth really hard, breaks my nose, right? 
You can, you know, if you've ever been hit in the face, right? The first reaction, you're angry, you want to hit back, right? But Paul says, hey, Fred, it's okay, I forgive you. <laughs> What's going to be my reaction? I may want to punch Paul in the face, um, right? Who do you think you are, Paul? Fred punched me. I'm the one who... I'm the one who needs to forgive Fred. His sin is against me. Do you see what they're saying? Jesus, you don't have the right to forgive sins because sin is done against God. Only God can forgive sin. But they're absolutely right. What Jesus is saying is, I am God. I can forgive sins. And so Jesus hears that, Jesus, not, he doesn't hear it, they reason within themselves, Jesus reads their minds. He knows what they're thinking and so he issues this challenge in verse 22. He says, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you or to say, rise and walk? And which one is easier to say? Certainly it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. Because if you say rise and walk... And it doesn't happen, well, you're proved to be a liar, right? So it's far easier to say your sins are forgiven, right? Jesus says, which, is, which one's easier to say? It'd be far easier for me to just say that and let it go because you can't physically see sin being forgiven. But then Jesus goes on, he says, So that you know that the Son of Man, which is Jesus' favorite title for himself, so that you know that the Son of Man has that kind of authority... So that you know that I can forgive sins, that it is my prerogative to do it. He looks at the man and he says, get up and go home. And the man gets up and he grabs his mat and he walks out praising God. Now what has Jesus done? Did the man's paralysis matter? Yes. But it wasn't his deepest need. This man's greatest desire that he be able to move, that he be able to walk, was not actually his deepest need. His deepest need was to be forgiven. His deepest need was to have his record, his, his sinful record expunged. And the only person who could do that was Jesus. Now, how does Jesus do that? In fact, if Jesus had only granted his wish, if Jesus had simply just said, rise, take your mat and go home, well, the man would have eventually ended up in worse shape than when he came. There's a fate worse than paralysis, and that is to die apart from Jesus. And so Jesus actually takes care of the man's greatest need first by forgiving his son. And when we put these two together, we see how Jesus does that. Not only does Jesus have the authority to forgive sins, but he also he, he is the one uh, who will take the sin on himself, right? He is the broken bird. He is the sprinkled blood. He is the one who is cast out so that you can be restored body and soul. Whatever your physical circumstances may be, I want, I want to give you really good news. 
they're not the greatest thing going on in your life. That, that God exists, and this is important, God exists to give you so much more than just a little pick-me-up. God came in the flesh not just to help you with your sorrows and sicknesses, which great news, He has come to do that. He understands. He meets us there. He understands migraines and gastrointestinal distress and cancer, right? He gets that. But He has actually come to cure a much greater sickness. And it is the sickness that separates you from God. Jesus has come in the flesh to be cast out like that blood-soaked bird, thrown outside of the city, cut off from the community so that you could be restored. So that you could have a restored relationship with God and a restored relationship with others. Just as the old hymn says, Come ye sinners, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity joined with power. He is able. Remember what that leper said? If you want to, you can make me clean. He is able. He is able. He is willing. Doubt no more. Let's pray.